Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's been a minute. It's been a minute since we uh, since we hopped on and did the thing. Talking a little footy on the overlap. Man, it's been what, like a month, Rion, since we last? Yeah, I want to say, uh, what, right after the Champions League? Almost a month. I think three weeks. Yeah. Just about three gloated, weeks. Gloated. It felt like a month. <laughs> it honestly has felt like a month. It's felt really, really long just in footballing and non-footballing activities. But it was, it was actually a solid month to kind of rest and recuperate before – she's a lot happened in the last month so we could talk about it so i'm glad in some ways that we did not have to to do it every week because i think my brain would have exploded but ladies and gentlemen welcome back to the overlap we're uh we're resuming session for for parts of the summer as we go in and out and figure out whatever the hell is happening in the euros whatever the Concacaf nations league even means um and also that final what's going on in Copa America. And there's always managerial and summer transfer twists at Tottenham that always lead to chaos. So with that, Rian, how you been? I mean, obviously I've spoken to you several times over the last <laughs> month, but outside of that, <laughs> generally. Oh, um, pretty good, pretty good. We back in, went back to Philly. I saw you in Philly a couple of weeks ago. Home for we're home for a weekend, and now it's just like you know New York is fully normal, <laughs> like semi like as close as it gets, say. as close as it gets to whatever the new normal is, um, and that's just been honestly a, a bit draining at times, but but <laughs> yeah. better than the alternative of what most of the last twelve months have been. So honestly, no no real complaints. Yeah, that's the thing, right? Like, it is definitely overwhelming. But at the same time, I don't know if I want to be locked inside for a year again. Like, I feel like I'm even still right now, like, locked inside. But um, it's not it's not the same. Yeah, it's nice, it's nice being able to go out and stuff. But I think the one thing is, like, I'd prefer walking into a restaurant and not have to worry about getting sick versus not being able to go to a restaurant at all. So that's how I look at it. Yeah, and um, and the bar scene is uh, oh, yeah, it's back. It's, <laughs> oh, it's, it's back. <laughs> it's back. It's also it was really funny the first uh, weekend that um the bars opened back up that well opened up on the normal curfew times which is um till four a.m. here, and I mean one it was just like there was so much pent up excitement. <laughs> I think I think the first the first weekend back there was just like hordes of people at almost every bar um yeah. and it's not even like the lines were they were massive lines obviously but they actually moved faster than normal it felt like anyway and, and i think it's only been like that for that one weekend but it was funny to see like the weekend after that which i think was this past weekend or no two weekends ago probably two um, yeah it, it was it's funny to see that that the numbers went down like immediately because <laughs> people were probably like already recovering from yeah. the weekend before. Um, and then, yeah, this week, this weekend we have the Pride Festival. So back to normal. Like this is full this force. Is yeah. Totally back to normal. Yeah. And in, in, in the weirdest of ways, because there's still also like you have to tread the line and be careful. And in some situations, I guess, because it's, <laughs> it's still technically a pandemic, but it's like, when all restrictions are lifted virtually 
it's kind of hard to shred that yeah. line. <laughs> it's and it's also it's also really I mean, we're all operating on the honor system now, yeah. honestly, with the mask. <laughs> I like so here in the city is still mandated, I think, until July 1st, sometime in July. Mm-hmm. Um, mandated to have the masks on in the subway and on buses and you know any public transportation. But honestly, honestly, COVID aside, it is probably just good health practice to wear it. Oh, yeah, mask in the no, definitely. Anyway. <laughs> like in general, that's probably the right call. And there's probably gonna be a decent population of people who just still do that like in a year from now. So hundred oh, percent. So there's that. But then like you go to any restaurants and bars and stuff, and it's like <laughs> like the first night back, there was just someone at the at the um door of the bar who wasn't the bouncer, but was someone who looked like they had a clipboard with I don't know what the hell the clipboard was for. But anyway, you would walk up and <laughs> this woman asked me, Are you vaccinated? And I said, Yeah. She's like, Okay. <laughs> and, and then he's going, I was like, Okay, great. So yeah, yeah, yeah we're fully fully on the fully on the honor system. I mean, um it, it is what it is right now. I think we're in like this that weird part now where it's like most of the people you see outside have a vaccine. But, you know, there's still like some people wearing masks walking on the sidewalk and yeah. some not. And like, I think there's just, there's just a psychological element. Like people are, are definitely a bit triggered from the last 15 months. Oh, of course. <laughs> so of course. I don't blame you. I honestly don't. Of course. It's just a, it's a funny scene. It's a funny scene. I got to assume yeah. that it depends on what neighborhood you're in, <laughs> which will tell you <laughs> the percentage of people wearing their masks walking around on the sidewalks. Yeah, when was the last time a mask was worn in Staten Island? I can confidently tell you never. But <laughs> elsewhere, maybe, maybe. Um, but yeah, it's definitely been a nice change of pace and kind of hit a nice time summertime where people are out and about and, and kind of enjoying life and things are definitely back. But that means Rihanna and I are definitely playing soccer more basically every weekend, uh, at least once a week, sometimes twice. Uh, my fat ass has been out of the apartment, which has been great um, to get outside and run around a little bit. But yeah, we've also been watching Euros while we've had time during the work week, not during the work week. We make we make time for our, our lovely patrons and listeners, um, but we do have to start off with probably probably the, the biggest thing to happen out of the Euros so far. Um, weirdly enough, it almost feels like everyone forgot about this. Like, even though this happened like a week ago, it, it weirdly feels like it just kind of flew out the window. I don't know. I don't know what it was like. Of course, I'm talking about Christian Eriksen collapsing from cardiac arrest on the field during the Denmark-Finland game. Um, Rihanna and I actually haven't had a chance to talk about this one-on-one outside of the podcast. So this is kind of the first time that we're even talking about it ourselves. Um, But where I I remember, Rian, like texting you and being like, did anyone just see like, Christian Eriksen just get knocked out or something because I saw what happened I saw he was on the ground but I thought he got like elbowed to the head um and very quickly right after that I sent that text I realized how serious it was um it was probably and I'm I'm genuinely trying to think of moments now um it was most certainly the the scariest moment of my life watching football by far by far I mean there's only yeah, there's only, um, you know, really one or two other incidents that even come to mind, but this one 
it was his eyes, man. It was his eyes. Like, see, there was like no life in his eyes when he fell over. And that was like the horrifying part. And the, just watching this all unfold was just, it was so traumatizing to people, especially like his, his girlfriend or his wife, I think in, in the stands who was on the field and everyone that was around that side of the field, like it was awful. Like it was just, it was so sad. And it, it just, it reminded you like what, the important things in life really are um like i hate i hate to say it because i mean we talk about it as often we kind of live and breathe the sport but it was literally just a game at the end of the day like that that is truly what it is but yeah 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 it was i mean yeah i've never i've never been so like terrified watching anything in my life like yeah. um like wow like not there, there's no, nothing that could have brought me to like that like emotional state um even watching it and you know I was just like in my basement this is when we were back in Philadelphia so I was just in my basement watching the game there and I was watching it with my girlfriend who, who watches soccer from time to time with me but like when this happened like she we were both just like in a pretty emotional state after like the first few minutes of it and the fact that it was the fact that it never went to a commercial break was just yeah. like or like anything or like just show the sky or the highlights of the game during the time it was um it was yeah very very jarring very jarring and um i wish that the media the uh television stations had really been more considerate in general but it was at the end of the day like you said just a game and also at the end of the day, like the teammates, the, Den- the Denmark teammates who did like such commendable things, like they ring around him to make sure to limit the amount of like exposure and stuff and show some, showed far more respect obviously than um, ESPN did here. Um, but I, I do have to say, and, it, and this is not to make ESPN look that much better, but what I did learn is that all of the broadcasting channels, I think around the world, really BBC, ESPN, anyone that was showing it, they relied on a one singular global feed um, that apparently was responsible for just continually streaming all this. And they had no, you know, quote unquote control over what they showed. But at the same time, as what's broadcast on your station, you can certainly cut that feed yeah. <laughs> off and go anywhere else. So I'm not, yeah. I'm not you know excusing them of any blame at the same time <laughs> no that's fair because i have heard i i have heard i at least the bbc i'd heard also showed it a little a little too much as well so um the, the obviously the most important things that christian erickson did he did not die that day or well he was brought back to life honestly because we know yeah. that he was his heart did stop for for a minute there um but he was brought back to life and since then there's been like very slow um positive news though for him and he's out of the hospital and i think that matters most is that he's doing okay now but obviously that's like that's a moment that'll stick with all of us forever um and again yeah just show them the most important thing there is is that it wasn't at the end of the day it was it was just a game of soccer and the actual joy and actual like um love and care that was taken for him to, to make sure they did that 
yeah. he was able to make it off the pitch, you know, not just his teammates, but also the referee, um, Anthony Taylor, like everyone moving as quickly as they did to, to make sure that, that he was able to make it off the pitch that day was also something that we'll, we'll never forget. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's a human element to it. It was really, there was like a really, really nice touch in, in the human element of it. All the, all from the Danish players surrounding him to how quickly everybody reacted, um, regardless of what Taylor Tellman tells you on TV and counts the seconds, right? Uh, I, I don't care. Yeah, Everyone yeah, did Tol- their job. That <laughs> Tolman treated it a bit like CSI at the end of the day yeah. in, the, in the studio. He's like talking yeah. about, oh, I'm, he was he was totally fine the seconds leading up to it. Like that, yeah, I, we got it. We, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we all saw <laughs> the same thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah but, and also, the funny thing about that is that ESPN pulled him for Tim Howard literally right after he said all that. So <laughs> yeah, and even and even you know, credit even to that, you know, not gonna. It was, it was funny that he was being so adamant about that. But, you know, what, what were those announcers going to say at that time, too? It's, it's like, true. It's the, true. The, the, um, I can't remember the name of, of the uh, co-commentator that was that was uh, co-commentating the game on ESPN when when the when it happened. But they talked to him afterwards and he was like, I don't even remember what I was saying during those like 10 minutes. I actually just couldn't believe like what was happening and stuff. So it, I, I'm, I'm sure that must have been traumatizing for everyone involved so yeah 100 100 but obviously we're so so glad to see that christian erickson made it out okay i mean it looked like based on those images um from i think one of the dutch photographers that was there that managed to somehow sneak a shot through the curtains of you know christian being up upright and kind of uh, conscious being pulled on the way out which honestly that was when i felt really relieved not when not when that picture you know started floating around social media but when they kind of just slowly took him off the pitch like you don't slowly take off someone from the pitch if they're still unconscious you kind of hurry them out um but at that point yeah it was it was comforting to see him uh, awake but life is short man life is short i i feel like we all always kind of get these reminders like every couple years or something like that where something traumatic like this happens but Got to remember that. Got to remember that. So anyway, but um, outside of the incident, Rian, the Euros has been absolutely drunk, just like just like Henny and lean and everything in one. And it's just, I don't even know where to start um, with this. I mean, obviously Italy and Turkey was the first game of the tournament. Italy coming out with a resounding three nil defeat against a team in which I think the athletic will really, really regret reporting on a dark horse of the tournament. <laughs> like so many people jumped on, <laughs> like so many people. And I was like, oh, yeah. okay. Like they, <laughs> I mean, I feel like what people would say, and even um, I think a couple of my roommates had had uh, asked me about, like, oh, tur- Turkey dark horse. I was like, I mean, some people are saying that. I I'm not sure where they're what exactly is like the thing that's pushing them to that. Uh, point but you know they had a good qualifying campaign leading up to it so I guess that's part of it but um, yeah as we've seen from all three of their games the talent level and you know the the way that they play even it's just not good enough so mm-hmm. the, the the big thing though like you mentioned from Italy and I guess this to maybe our observations from this group stage so far 
I know I have a couple and I'll just let you get to yours, but I think for me, the biggest one has to be Italy. Like they came into this tournament having never scored three goals in a single, <laughs> in a single game in a European championship. Um, I'm not sure if that also extends to world cups too. I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case as well, but uh, at least with the euros, they never scored three goals in a single game. And then they did it in their first two and they did it in yeah. style too. They didn't, they didn't do it, you know, getting like maybe a couple own goal or an own goal and then a penalty and then a late goal or something like that, which would have felt very old Italy. They've done it in this, I mean, wonderfully like expansive passing, like vertical passing. Um, I mean, could one even say Tiki Talia? Stop. One might. How, how, but... no, 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 no. Stop. <laughs> how long have you waited to say that? Uh, probably a week, if I'm being honest. Jesus Christ. But, but probably after the Switzerland game where they did it again and they were amazing. But no, that that's said half joking. But they've been awesome. I wish, I wish people could see my face when we record these, honestly. Just <laughs> bewilderment. They've been awesome. They've been awesome. And they haven't played like, any Italy that, well, we've watched that probably our parents have watched before. Like they, this is such an un-Italian team, but yeah. the, at the same time, you know, as great as they've been going forward, they've still been fantastic at the back too. So we also, can say it's, maybe it's. It, it, yeah. All, all I was going to say is that it's not like, it's not like this should be a surprise, shockingly. And, and even though it was a surprise, even to me, how well Italy turned up and played, they are on a 30-game unbeaten run. So yeah. it's not like this is like just some shock of the world. And I guess it somewhat is because they've been absent from being on the main stage of competitions for the last four years, right, after missing the World Cup in 2018. It, 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 kind, of, it kind of does bring up a point to say okay maybe italy got slept on in the world cup maybe maybe they just got really unlucky and that almost afforded them the chance to really prep for this euros tournament which now looking about a year before the world cup or i should say a year and a half because covid they're in a good position i'll leave it at that yeah i mean you think about like 2018 that had to be like like such a dark moment for Italian football in general, yeah. right? You're talking yeah. about a team that's won more World Cups than anyone else, or sorry, second, second to Brazil, I should say. Only Brazil have won more than that, and to not make a World Cup, like that's that is like a, a total probably idea of like their of modern Italian football, right? So yeah. to get from that low moment to now, I mean, who knows what happens in knockout stages because this is a tournament and, and we know that <laughs> there is no, there's very little logic that comes to, um, some might say negative. When it comes to, yeah, yeah, when it comes to knockout stages of any tournament. But I think now they've established themselves as a very fun team and a team that, Look, even if it doesn't go well for them here, like they're gonna have such good momentum going into World Cup qualifications and going into the World Cup itself. 
And I think a lot of that has to do with Mancini himself. I, I mean, yeah, yeah. He's, I think he's a very, very underrated coach. Um, because I think, oh, when he was the manager of Inter, I think it was right before Jose Mourinho. And then he's the manager at Manchester City. Granted, two coaches before Pep Guardiola, but he wins Manchester City their first title and then still gets sacked like two years later um, because he lost. In the, <laughs> because he of lost. Course, of course. <laughs> naturally, not even two years. It was, I think it was a year later. Um, oh, he ended it was, up losing yeah. in, the, in the FA Cup final to Wigan. so i think think he's a little he's he is um i think that's part of the reason they're slept like you said they've they've been slept on in general too because i think hard to argue that it would be hard to argue that there is a coach in this tournament Mm -hmm. that is better than him like is is there a coach that is maybe That is, sorry, there might be one, co- one, maybe two coaches that you could argue are better coaches than him, but okay. I would have to say, I would think that tactically, in just my opinion, I think that he's probably the best coach in this, in this tournament. Now, Italy don't have the best squad, I don't think, but I, I do think that he's the best coach. So let me give you potential names. Yergi Love. Roberto right Martinez. now, right now, Jurgi Love, yeah. Roberto Martinez. I mean, did you watch Roberto Martinez <laughs> as manager of Everton? I yes, yes I did. Yes, I, <laughs> I don't did. know. We're talking about in the context of Belgium. I have a feeling that I I think that Roberto Martinez is a better manager than 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 uh, Roberto Martinez. Yes, uh, Yogi Love at this. If you're talking about within the last two two three years. A lot of German fans don't want Yogi Love to be the coach, and he's well, he's not and he's on his way out. So, <laughs> I, I would, I think, I would still put, I think, I would still put Mancini above him at the right now. Weirdo. All right, fine, <laughs> fine. It's not, it's not the hottest of takes. I will say, you've had worse takes. That says more about the standard of national team managers. That's more what I was trying to say. Oh but, yeah, yeah. That's that's also fair. Also Frank DeBoer is. Probably oh gonna make it to the oh semifinals of Stop. this of this competition because yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, their yeah. side of the bracket is very favorable, and the Netherlands have just enough talent. The like, Netherlands basically have to compete with maybe Wales, and then England and Germany. So England or Germany, England or sorry, yes, I should say England or Germany. So, oh, that, that's yeah. The so that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the standard of coaching, I don't think, is is great or even good on average. So, well, what have you what have you thought of kind of the different, I guess, different playing styles throughout the Euros? Because I feel like one of the things that I was reading about too, and Smarter Scout, and you know, all the the different statistics out there, right, is that over the course of the club season, there's absolutely been a transition towards less pressing, less dynamic pressing, more more defensive blocks in you know your own final third, your own third, and I think that's largely carried over to the Euros. Like I think that even statistically, it has carried over to the Euros. So, like one of the things, I mean, I think Spain is a great example of this. One of the things that frustrated me the most is just how poorly 
Spain played, for example, in their first two games. I mean, 40% of their passes were either sideways or backwards in in the entire of, of both those first two games, which means basically like 700 passes were sideways or backwards <laughs> like over the course of two games. So it's like, uh, what do you do I mean, with that? What do you do? Like, I mean, we is, saw this the possession, the possession for them in that, in that Sweden game, I think it was after 20 minutes, they had something yeah. like 91% possession, yeah, which yeah, yeah. feels statistically impossible, <laughs> but, but yeah, I think they ended up with something like 85% possession when the game ended, but that's, that's yeah, solid. I, that is just doing, that is just calling back memories of Pep's 2012 Barcelona, like versus Celtic where they ended oh, up. Wow, yeah. They ended up losing and had eighty like eight percent possession during the game. Oh God, I can't. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you you talked about you know teams not pressing as high and and being willing to um, sit a bit deeper too. But I think another uh, like really important part of that too, like which you touch on with Spain, is that <clears throat> kind of like defensive possession, right? Like, holding the ball and just kind of keeping it, whether it's, whether it's to lure the other team out or likely what feels more likely conserving energy, Yeah, which it feels like, yeah, these, like we can talk about France and, and I can scream to the rooftops about how much of a handbrake that Deschamps puts on his team <laughs> of like literal monsters from, um, from space jam. Oh my god! But yeah. but that's like how France have kind of always played under Deschamps, and even like kind of how they played at most times during 2018. It was just it was just you know out talent the other team, and 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 Pape just run through six defenders trying to catch him by literally trying to hold his jersey, and <laughs> I, I just will never forget the uh, the game against Argentina where Rojo just just has to tackle him just has to tackle him in the box at the end because he's just like i can't there's nothing i can I do hate, I, oh man. my god this is so triggering <laughs> um but that that is not they're doing even less of that france yeah this year. Yeah. like even less of this it feels a lot not just with them but um it feels like teams are the top teams are really leveraging on the individual talent a lot more and just kind of trying to keep everything very safe and not conserve too much energy. And it's, it's, it's disappointing in some teams because then you see how like Italy have played um, and you see how, look, as much as you want to, as much as I, and I think literally every other person in the, in the world will kind of shit on Frank DeBoer. Like, Netherlands deservedly. have played. No, no, no. Let's, deservedly. Let's, let's also deservedly. Yeah. Deservedly. I mean, the man, came to MLS and his reputation got worse as a coach. So that probably tells you enough. It's those teams though, like even I'll throw in even Denmark after Ericsson goes down, they still played great soccer there. I think they're sitting somewhere in the top three of XG created for, for teams um, through the group stages. So you have those teams and then you have the other, the, the uh, very talented teams like France and England um choosing to play a bit more conservatively and just kind of leverage the talent and just say all right well look we're going to come up with the moments like we're just we just think we're going to come up with the moments um 
crucial moments, I should say, to score goals. And we think that our defending is good enough to get through it. So it's it's been very interesting. It's been very interesting. Um, I don't know, Ellis, what, what are you what are you preferring right now? Or where do you which of these two styles do you think is more likely going to win the, end up winning the tournament in Ooh, general well well those are two very different questions i think you very well know what my preference is yeah for yeah, yeah that's why that's why i threw in the second one because like, yeah i, yeah, I yeah. assume the first one will be straightforward yeah yeah attacking attacking very dynamic football is always 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 my preference very open games very very back and forth that almost hinges solely on fullback play that is that not solely, but you know, I mean, very much yeah. on the fullback play. That is my preference for just watching. What I think is really interesting about this Euros is that there are the same fullbacks that I would call top five in the world, probably all spread out throughout the Euros right now. And none of them are playing at the level that they should be, not a yeah. single one of them. And I think that's greatly impacted the way that their national teams play. And I think that in terms of who's going to end up coming out on top of, uh, out of those teams, you know, go really far in the tournament shockingly won't be decided by those fullbacks. I think that's ultimately going to be decided by the the front three of some of these teams. And what I mean by that is let's, let's look at an example, right? I think let's look at Harry Kane and whatever combination of Mount, well, unfortunately not for probably a week or so, at least um, Mount, Phil Foden, Harry Kane, Raheem Sterling, right? Some combination of that, maybe Jack Grealish, like we saw in the last game also is, is a part of that. What changed for England to, to actually put them through and get a win somehow in their last game? Well, that was the inclusion of a dynamic midfielder in Jack Grealish and obviously providing, you know, Saka was a big part of it too, but providing that forward motion that they were not getting from their fullbacks or they were not getting from the midfield. That's what actually propelled them forward. Now we can talk all day about how Harry Kane has not had a great tournament. And I think that's fair, but what's more important here is that the players that are more athletic and more willing to run at defenders especially in the attacking third are the ones that are getting forward and creating the most chances, both from what I'm seeing and statistically. And so I think the team that's able to actually have not necessarily the best striker or the best winger, but the best combination of three players whose chemistry works really, really well will have the best chance of winning this tournament because this is absolutely going to be a tournament based, not based on individual quality. Like, I think this is one of those situations where you're not going to see as many breakout stars. You're not going to see as many, you know, highlights and massive transfer fees afterwards. You're going to see the best team win. And I, I, and I think obviously, like I said before, that's France, but you're also going to see the best front three really show up. And again, I also do think that's, that's probably France. Um, where where it gets really interesting is with a team like the Netherlands. Like you brought up Frank De Boer and whatever three five two means to him. I, I'm I'm confident he read a quarter of soccernomics and he was like, I like that combination of numbers. <laughs> I really dig it. So let's go with that. So I don't know actually what Frank De Boer's deal is, but what the Netherlands I think have done really well is guess who's been their breakout player? Genie Wanyaldum. You know what Genie yeah. Wanyaldum does really well? breaks into the box 
he gets behind play. He does a lot of direct running, right? They're not getting that from their fullbacks right now. They're not getting that. I mean, I think you say dumb, dumb freeze. I think dumb freeze is the guy they're getting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think he's been, you could say they're getting from dumb freeze, but yeah. Dumb freeze has arguably been one of the players of the tournament as well. Yeah. Right. And he's been standing out because he's been like actually going forward too. And I wonder to what, I love the point on the fullbacks because I wonder to what level these fullbacks are also being told to to stay back because exactly, especially exactly. for England, I will say, especially for England, when you look at Luke Shaw and um and Reese James played Taylor and two guys who we saw all season go up and down for teams. Mm-hmm. Reese James literally played wing back for Chelsea for a good chunk of the final of the second half of the season, and right. we saw Luke Shaw making so many runs forward yes making so many runs forward um for manchester united and carrying the ball forward and uh it seems like they're not being given the license to do that and look we the same with with france obviously but but you know looks pavard benjamin pavard to say um and Lucas hernandez not really going forward very much for france either but no i I think i think that's a great that's a great point and, and on on the Netherlands too. That's why they look so good. That you saw the fits that Germany's wingbacks caused to Portugal. Yes. yes. And simply because Portugal couldn't figure out, we just need to drop in. Someone needs to mark these men. Every time the ball got switched, the amount of space that Gozens found himself in, he had a great game, but the amount of space and just simple space from just there's there's five guys versus four there's there's always going to yeah. be one guy who's going to be yeah. open here uh and and we're not seeing many teams play like that and it probably says a lot that the two teams that have used the most width the most width in this tournament so far have been teams that play with three center backs so. yeah yeah 100 yeah you make a really good point i think what germany did in that game against portugal is probably <clears throat> the best combination of team and fullback play that we'll see in the rest of this tournament just given how poor everything else has been but i'll i'll wrap up with this thought i already said that the the team with the best dynamic players as a front three will probably win and this isn't to say that Conte and pogba or you know frankie de jong and Gini wanialdum can't win you games or be crucial but i think that the decisiveness Maybe I'm a little triggered by Morata's misses and, and Moreno's oh, nonsense this tournament, but I, I will say that that is my, my, my opinion in who will win this tournament. Um, my two, I would say the two teams that I would highlight as my underperformers and my overperformers. I think the overperformer is almost pretty clear in actually maybe it's not clear for you. My overperformer is the Netherlands. It's not Italy mm. um, because Italy, I think you could almost expect or at least we should have should have been more aware that they were doing so well. Um, yeah, I think that's a fair Euros. point. That's the Netherlands, point. the Netherlands were in tatters. I mean, the Netherlands had no business showing up and winning all three of their <laughs> group stage <laughs> games. Absolutely none. Um, so I do have to shout out the Netherlands for that. My underperformer is a little less clear. I'm very much between England and Spain, um, and I'm. Honestly, don't know who to decide. I probably am going to pick England because, quite frankly, I'm still not impressed with them. At least Spain showed up today. Um, I'd probably go with England as my underperformer. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts? I've been talking and rambling. Oh, no, no. I I, I think for my overperformer, um, I think Netherlands is a good shout. Uh, I think I'm going to go with Denmark because losing Ericsson and then 
still playing as well as they did. Like they should have beaten Finland if they were allowed to play the game, you know, with clear heads. Another thing that we didn't get into. Yeah. I mean, UEFA just in general during this tournament are reminding (laughs) us why, why we felt very weird about being on their side for the Super League thing. So, uh, no, but they played Netherlands. They played great. They should have beaten. They should have beaten Finland. They had so many more chances in that game. And, and then in the end, it's um, a Casper Schmeichel error that I don't think he makes if he's if he's not like three hours removed from seeing one of his friends like collapse on the field um but then they played great against Belgium yeah basically up until the cavalry had to come on for Belgium where they had to bring on De Bruyne and Hazard is like we're not beating this team without these two guys on the on the field um and then they handily beat Russia and then they 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 really destroyed Russia and and almost got kind of screwed by a bad penalty call, I think. But in the end, they deservedly went through. And I think they played really, really, really good soccer um, in those three games. So I, um, my underperformers, I'm going to say Portugal right now. Because the one thing that I would have felt very confident about for any Portuguese side was solidity in like transition defending and there is none <laughs> there is not a lot and I, I think I truly underestimated no look losing Jao Cancelos is a huge miss for them right but I, I'm not sure how much better of a defender he is than Nelson Semedo I think better just on because Semedo is basically a turnstile out there but it's still like their their fullbacks are not are not good at one on one defending, which I think I, I don't know why I just missed the fact that you called Tomato a turnstile. That's hysterical, but <laughs> continue. I'm, I'm listening. Um, but no, even Rafael Guerrero, great attacking left back for Dortmund all season, really great, one of their best players of the season, but doesn't offer you much in in defending, and we saw that during the Germany game, um, especially especially right. So. Uh, it, that plus the fact that Joao Felix, I mean, has he gotten more than like 10 minutes in this tournament yet? I, he didn't come on today. And I don't remember yeah. if he came on at all against Germany. I, I think, think he, I think he, let me look. I honestly, I think he potentially came on in their first, I think he potentially came on in the, the win against Hungary. Like, it's honestly a really I'm not good question. Him. He's I I don't know no, I don't I, I know he did not come on against Hungary, um against or against Germany I feel like he did, but I I could be totally wrong. He's not played a single minute. All right, that also works. That's and an I think he's been on the bench <laughs> in a couple of these games, so so he that's has, also very disappointing for them. Um, I have no reason why I have no idea why he has not come on. Um at all I, I i there's no explanation at the moment i really want to find out why he has not played a single minute that is that is more blasphemous than jane sancho getting seven garbage garbage time minutes in the third game <laughs> against against uh slovakia or yeah czech, czech republic for for england i i've honestly partially given up with <laughs> with, with with portugal as 
a team, not because this isn't like a Ronaldo thing. This is genuinely just about Portugal for a second. They are so frustratingly good in transition and attack. Yeah. And so stubbornly difficult to actually get them to defend properly. Like they have a bunch of, basically they have a bunch of eights and a bunch of like wingers. That, yeah. that, that is what this team is, right? Ronaldo, Jota, like that combination of, of Portuguese forward talent plus. Yeah. I've expected a bit more from Bernardo Silva too. Yeah, I think Bernardo I'm a, Silva bit, I'm a not, bit disappointed yeah. with, with his performances as well. No, absolutely, absolutely. And um, do you have anything to say about Bruno Fernandes or <laughs> are we just going to leave it at My guy Bruno's having a tough time when he's not the focal oh. point of the team. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, because maybe, maybe when you score 12 penalties a season, that isn't all as in everything. I don't know. He's he's not quite getting the same amount of shots per game. Let's just say. Why do you think that? Because yeah, no, not... no. I look, look, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's no, 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 it's okay. Yeah, go ahead. It's arguable that like they're gonna go through this tournament and and probably Jao Felix should have got should get a start over him at some like the third game. I guess they didn't really have a game where they could in their, in the group stage, they didn't have a game where they could be like, all right, we know that this is like a relatively easy game. Let's start drow um, in this game. And I guess the stakes were too high in the group stages, but it's now it's like, you can't get him in really. Like he's going to come in for some bench minutes potentially, but he's not going to start it in this tournament. So that's unfortunate. Here we are, Rian. Who's your winner in the tournament at the end of the day, before we go to a break. Uh, I'll give my like, the group stages. Now. I'll give my like top. I'll give my top three. Like, I'll oh, cop my, out. Top three, cop like, out. Power. I'll give like power rankings. How about right, that? Fine, fine. All right, because yeah, we're BR football now. All right, for th- <laughs> I think number three. In terms of just who has looked the best? Wow. Ugh. Uh. Uh. No, nah, I've. Got, I can't. I can't see anyone past past Italy and France right now. Unfortunately, they're on the same side of the bracket. So, <laughs> um, so they, they, we'll see there. Yeah, I mean, I think I, France. I think I would still have France as my favorite um, right now. And if Italy don't have to play France and someone else knocks them out for them, <laughs> that would be ideal. So. I believe they say that's chef's kiss. So yes, <laughs> I, I still am going with France. I have no reason to doubt that they are still the best team in this tournament, best attacking team best tagging players. I'm, I'm good with that argument. So <laughs> from what I've seen too, but anyway, we'll take a break, come back, talk a little, geez, conca calf nations league final. I forgot that was the thing. And then Copa America, a little bit of what's going on there. And uh, the summer silly season as Rian calls. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the second half of the pod where we're talking a little Copa America, a little Nations League final, a little transfer season, a little bit of everything. So, Rian, let's start with, uh, with the Copa America, the other major tournament going on in the world right now. A tournament that went from being played in Argentina and Colombia and a multitude of countries to just being played in Argentina to now just being played in Brazil because of um, yeah. COVID, of course. <laughs> um, 
for those uh, that, that do remember, um, Brazil uh, is suffering the world's worst COVID rate right now. Um, so I don't know how that makes sense. But yes, the Copa America is currently underway in Brazil. And some teams are actually flying in and out of Brazil just to play their games. Um, because I think sounds probably, normal. <laughs> that's, everything's fine. Totally fine. Thank you, Bolsonaro. But anyway, Rian, I've been shockingly impressed at the quality of some of the football in the Copa America this, this summer. Obviously, a lot of these players play in La Liga. Obviously, a lot of them play in the Premier League, play in Europe's major clubs. So, obviously, I'm going to say this with a hint of bias. And <laughs> oh, it can only, it can only be a, a bad thing. But Argentina aren't that bad of a team now. <laughs> and I mean that seriously. Like, they're not let, – let me be very clear that we're not talking about a team that is better than Brazil. We are not talking about the best team in the tournament. We're talking about a team that is just better than they historically were under basically every coach since – probably Sabella in the 2014 world cup, which honestly was a trash team anyway. So <laughs> I don't know how they made the world cup final there, but Argentina have gone on to, uh, how do I, how do I put this skate past all the rest of the South American teams in their group. So the way that the Copa America works for those that don't know is that there are really just two groups, five teams in each four of them go through because of, you know, the fact there aren't as many, you know, super, super, uh, they're there i can't even talk anymore they're not an extremely high number of countries in south america so got to consolidate it somehow and no argentina have not scored a multitude of goals i believe they scored three goals throughout the tournament um whereas no was, they still haven't been able to beat chile no <laughs> no they have not been able to beat chile like they did they drew their first game even though they absolutely dominated that first half Brazil, on the other hand, scored four goals, and, and Peru and Ecuador have actually scored uh, – I should say Brazil scored seven goals, Peru, Peru and Ecuador scored uh, four. But interestingly enough, Argentina have only conceded one goal throughout this entire tournament, and of course that was to Chile. Um, they did beat Uruguay. They did beat Paraguay 1-0 each. Brazil, however, have just been on a tear, right? So you're talking about a team that – beat Venezuela 3-0, beat Paraguay 2-0. I mean, beat Peru, I think, 4-0. So Brazil are just on a tear, right? This is... Charleston looks great. Richarlison looks great. Neymar also looks incredible. Like, he, he is very much in form. He's just back at uh, playing for Santos. <laughs> he's <laughs> yeah, just, he, yeah, he's yeah, yeah. literally playing this, this... I mean, it's how he always plays in general, right? But, like... But now he's home. Now he's home, and now he's like do trying tricks even more. Yeah, and he's closer to Rafaela too, so it helps. Oh, but, not touching that. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, Neymar, if you're listening to this, I, I sorry. Um, but no, a team teams that have really impressed me this Copa America have definitely been Argentina, have definitely been Brazil, have in some ways been Chile. I've been underwhelmed by Uruguay. I've just not seen the the goals come from Luis Suarez that should have been, although they did draw Chile um, uh, 1-1. I think, again, this is such a weird tournament because most of the teams are going to get out of the group, right? Like the good teams, yeah. even if they don't try that hard, are going to get out of the group. But 
what gets really interesting is a knockout round because you basically start in the quarterfinals with four teams in each group going into the, into the knockout rounds. So you really only have, if you're thinking as an Argentina or Brazil as favorites in this tournament, three games that you have to, to, to win before you potentially get matched up with each other <laughs> and, and see how that goes. Cause both of those teams respectively are top of their group, Argentina on seven points, Brazil on six, but Brazil do play tonight at kind of our time recording. I don't know, Rian, what do you, what are your thoughts on, on the Copa? It's, it, it's just a weird, I don't even, it doesn't even feel like a tournament. It feels like a weird series of friendlies. Yeah. I'm going to be honest. I've seen, I think I've watched max three matches so far and I think two, two Argentina matches and one Brazil. Uh, God, it's, I started watching it. The Brazil game, I think the first one against Venezuela, uh, when they're in that massive stadium and there's just no fans in it. And having not one hour before that, I think having watched like, I think the Hungary game where they're in the Pushkas arena and they actually have full 65,000 in the arena. And it was traumatic turning on this <laughs> the the, screen, the uh, channel and and seeing no fans again and I was like oh no so I think that has kind of uh, made it tough to to get into it um, but biggest observation I think from Argentina's side at least wow why did it take two years for a coach <laughs> to get Giovanni Lo Celso in like <laughs> right positions and um, and kind of fit him into the tactical plan where he looks good in it yeah right it's almost like just playing somewhat more attacking he looks a lot better he's like he's looked great he's looked great as like I don't know the type of player that outside of Messi I don't feel like we've seen on Argentina for like five like five six years more more than that they didn't have this type of player in 2014 but well, now the problem you have... is the problem is they don't call up Paulo Dybala <laughs> to, to any of true. these games, also so, true. which is also which true. is the bigger problem because it's not like they don't have access to those players. Right, right. But you know, Los Celso's fit in very well in kind of the other number ten on the mm-hmm. team, right? And uh, and then you have the ability to bring Papu Gomez onto the pitch too, and like that's scoring that's, a great goal. Yeah, and, and it just feels like the attacking talent, which is there's always attacking talent in Argentina and the problem has always been fitting them together um, in a way where they all play well, or even two of them play well, but now it, it seems like Lo Celso is, is really kind of stepping up in terms of being another guy that, that, that in the least, if he's not necessarily creating the chance, the way that he drives the ball forward is also really, really crucial and, and also really, you know, different to what a lot of, these Argentine teams have had in the past. So, yeah, and also shouting out Rodrigo de Paul for not only always oh my putting a shift in midfield, right? But he's basically, I've this is something that I've kind of kept myself over the years, but especially in the 2018 World Cup, um, I I really had this thought that he is the perfect Atletico Madrid slash Simeone player, and now he has quite literally earned his there. move to Atletico Madrid for 35 million euros. So. Could not be happier for him. Wow, he's literally a, writing a script. He's a big cult figure, like the like a soccer data Twitter kind of thing. Yeah. He's he yeah, he's I'm excited to see him at Atletico next season. So yeah. 
Yeah. Well, one question before we move on from the Copa Rion is if you, let's say in a hypothetical world, Argentina and Brazil go up in the Copa America final, which is absolutely not a guarantee, by the way, South American teams are ruthless when it comes to knockouts. Who are you taking? Between those two teams, I, I still just, I know, even after you said that Argentina only conceded once, I just still trust Brazil's defense more. Yeah. I mean, Nicolas Otamendi is still starting for Stop. Argentina. Oh, God. So, <laughs> I, I think I just have a bit more faith in like Marquinhos and, and Brazil's back line. Um, to be fair, he did not start the last game. But I, but yes, I yes, think that same. I feel that um, Argentina's midfield is better. And so to what extent they'll be able to actually take advantage of that um, if they, if they end up meeting Brazil, we'll see, but I, it's just hard to trust Nicholas Otamendi. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's not an unpopular opinion, by the way. Just let me, let me clarify that. I think everyone <laughs> in Argentina agrees with you. So yes, I, I think that I would probably still take Brazil, unfortunately, definitely triggered by the semifinals of the last Copa America in 2019. Um, so don't want to go back to that, but I do think that they would, Argentina would put up more of a fight. Um, even though they did put up a very good fight the last time they met in that Copa America knockout, I think that Argentina absolutely would be in a, in a position to potentially shock the world here. So they haven't been playing stellar football, but then they've been very much a team of tail two halves. But I do think that Brazil, um, while they are favorites, could, could, definitely get beaten um, by Argentina at some point. So I'm curious to see what happens, but Rian, let's move on to the CONCACAF Nations League final. That's uh, as he beams with pride, the Americans taking the cup. What was it? Three weeks ago? Yeah, I think, I think three ish weeks ago. Yeah. It was right after we, we stopped recording for a little Yeah. Bit. Maybe like three days after that. Yeah. So a game that I told Rian the next morning, but I fell asleep during extra time because it was just so late. And also this game, I'm pretty sure it was at Denver. So it was also yeah, the game started at like nine. It was just shitty, very shitty timing um, yeah. for the start of the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at that point when you're at like 11, 1130 on a Sunday, I was exhausted. So long story short, Rian, tell me, tell me the story of this famed history ridden CONCACAF Nations League final. Well, Look, the game itself was look for for anyone who has not watched a lot of um CONCACAF games that that is pretty close to normal um and made even crazier by the fact that they put the VAR screen in between the two benches <laughs> I mean like I couldn't think of a worse idea honestly <laughs> a worse area to put it for a CONCACAF conca game. So anyway, the, the, the refereeing was, it, it, it was what it was. Uh, it's hilarious to watch. Um, and look at a lot of things that are called in Europe, in uh, UEFA and in any European league is just not going to even really be looked at or even considered in a CONCACAF game. So we got peak vintage CONCACAF game where, craziness the look the the u.s started the game horribly obviously mark mckenzie a really tough moment for him uh and then they the u.s just 
fought back and were able to, to just find ways to get goals. And honestly, nothing, not much more than just leveraging the gap in talent that there was. If you're just talking about one, no one on Mexico can jump like Weston McKinney. And that's, and there's probably not going to be anyone else in CONCACAF that can do that. <laughs> like the amount of headers that he won um, off corners, I feel it felt like 23, but it probably was closer to like five or six. So um, they, they found a way, they just found a way to find goals, to get, to get goals almost out of nothing. Like you think about even the penalty for the third goal where, I mean, uh, Christian Pulisic just kind of just dribbles around and finds a way to get fouled. It was like, was it a foul? It was very, um, it was, um, <laughs> yeah, it was very Trey Young esque. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's the difference between like this team and past US teams where guys like, like Pulisic and guys like Reyna, especially who's a big, He's a, he's a diver. He's a big diver too. And, and the thing is like, he looks, he's, they're good enough to draw the dives and like, you know, it's, it, it was more like a refreshing, um, refreshing to see the team kind of battle their way back and do it, you know, with some, with enough, with just kind of overwhelming quality I, I, is the best way to put it. Um, and there's going to be great us Mexico games. Um, during the World Cup qualifying, and it, we can say the Concacaf Nations League probably doesn't it, like prestige. The trophy itself doesn't really matter, right? Like that, not real. Not it is what it is. It's whatever value that we put on it. And for those guys, it's like their first trophy together, and that's the cool part about it. And now it feels like a great way for them to kind of kick on, and when World Cup qualifiers come around, go into camp feeling very confident about themselves and as a team and yeah it was a, it was uh I think it was a very good game for even people who hadn't watched uh the national team in a long time obviously that was that was a just a ridiculous game and I hope that that kind of got people on on a mini bandwagon so far because uh I think gold cup comes up next but you yeah. expect a lot of these European guys to not be there because it's during preseason and they need to they need to cement their places into in their in their senior squads um, that they're at. So, all in all, a great a great week. I think they finished off with a four 0 win against Costa Rica, where Brendan Harrison scored and and Del DK scored, and that was just great for for vibes. So, all in all, a good a good week there for for the U.S. men's national team. It is shockingly unsettling how content the world of football has made Rian in the last month. <laughs> between the U.S. men's national team just showing up in not only the Nations League final, but also in their friendlies. And then, well, we don't talk about the Jamaica game. But, uh, like, <laughs> and then Chelsea winning the Champions League. Like, I feel like your year has been made outside of just everything Sixers related. Like, I feel like you're... Oh, gosh. You, you, cashed, in, you cashed in all the happiness. Yeah, that in, was the cost. Yeah. <laughs> That was literally the cost. Yeah, yeah. But the, it, like, it, it has to be all downhill from here at this point when it comes to football. So I'm just waiting for the moment that you realize you have to sell Mason Mount. <laughs> like, oh, I'm just, God. No, like, that's no, no, that's not. <laughs> no, yeah, no. yeah. That's that's what I said when Messi said he won. That's just cruel. That's so. just cruel. <laughs> well, 
anyway, Rian, why don't we wrap up with a little bit of the summer silly season? Um, where do you want? Where do you want to start throughout the map of shenanigans in uh, in the world? Oh well, I guess let's start with um, what seemed like kind of obvious, and then and then seemed like it wasn't going to happen, and then it did happen at the end. Sergio Ramos leaving Real Madrid. Um, we don't know where he's going yet, but he'll go where the I'm sure where the money is, <laughs> but. Sergio Ramos leaving Real Madrid after 15 years. God. 16, I think. Yeah. 16. God. Yeah. yeah. It's been a long wow. time, but um, wow. he went, know, he, he went there. Oh, sorry. He went there with long hair and he leaves <laughs> as a much older man. Still is his hair. His hair stock came back it, full circle. Yeah. Like yeah, he was yeah. doing the short hair for a long time. And, that, and now he's back. Back to yeah, the long he looks, hair. He looks equally as ugly. So it's a shame. <laughs> yeah, you wish. <laughs> I do I wish. Do you wish. Like that. <laughs> oh, 100%. 100%. I take that in Harvey. But you know, what's what's interesting about this Romo situation is we knew back in March that Real Madrid offered him a contract extension of one year, right? 10% cut on a salary, but a one year extension. That was reported by the media, by the way. So when Ramos turned up to his press conference and, you know, said his goodbyes, but also conveniently said, you know, I asked for a two-year extension and, you know, I didn't realize that the proposal on the table that they gave me of one year's had an expiration date. You know, <laughs> for him, apparently it wasn't about the money, but inherently, right, a two-year contract versus a one-year contract is solely about the money. <laughs> like, that is, that is the only thing separating you it's a monetary uh, commitment it's about the security the it's about the security of the bag it exactly exactly <laughs> and like i don't yeah. i fundamentally do not see how sergio ramos understood that sergio ramos screwed up the negotiations basically um that's tldr he didn't realize that there was an expiration date because the money that they were going to use on sergio ramos salary is basically now being used for david alaba who will be coming in as the new quote-unquote left center back even though I don't really know what side the center back he really is at this point in his career, but at the same play, time, yeah, everywhere, just yeah, everywhere. everywhere. He's, he is he's an everywhere <laughs> center back. Um, so yeah, the Sergio Ramos situation is completely on him, in my opinion. And I am never one to defend Florentino Perez, but I can understand it. Honestly, I can solely understand it. And there's a lot of really, really interesting history behind it um, between their relationship that I won't go into, but. I don't know where Sergio Ramos' next location is. I know his family is obviously in Madrid. They've been in Madrid for years and years. He has four kids and, and a wife that is a Spanish kind of TV personality. So it's kind of hard to leave uh, Spain at the very least. And I know he's not going back to Sevilla. So dare I say that he goes to Atletico Madrid? I'll <laughs> leave that there. That's uh, my party. Yeah, no, it's your troll, but that would also be <laughs> that would also be just a troll if he went there too. Oh, a hundred percent. I would die. <laughs> well. But yeah, now we'll see. We'll see where he goes. It feels like it feels like yeah, again he'll go where the money is. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. which it, which feels like Manchester Paris City or PSG or yeah. Next, Elias. Um, speaking of money and not having <laughs> a lot of it, uh, you really that was the <laughs> most interesting segue. I'm I'm here for it, but that's hysterical. Spurs manager search. Um, coming on 
what feels like three and a half years, but really is like 50 days since they sacked Jose Mourinho. Um, <laughs> they have gone from a lot of stuff linking them to Eric Ten Hag at Ajax, to him signing a one-year extension at Ajax, to being in talks with Antonio Conte, who seemed like the worst possible fit for Tottenham and Daniel Levy, to them hiring the director of football that was at Juventus when Antonio Conte was there, to the talks between Antonio Conte and Spurs breaking down because uh, he realized the financial situation at Spurs, to being very close to getting Paolo Fonseca from who was replaced by Jose Mourinho at Roma to then pivoting to Gattuso, who, (laughs) who um, after 23 days, I think it was of being the manager of Fiorentina resigned because they wouldn't hire basically Jorge Mendes stable of Porto players <laughs> stable of yeah yeah <laughs> to to then to then going after Gattuso not a day after that and just about every one of their fans um saying hey this guy kind of said a lot of uh, bigoted things in the last like, decade and <laughs> at the same time is not nearly good enough of a coach for us to look past this stuff. So that leaves him now at uh, Ryan Mason still being the last person who coached the team and still, and still looking like the most likely person right now to coach the team at the beginning of next season. Um, I don't even mess. know. I, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's hard. This has been one of the most inept uh processes i've ever seen from a sports team oh that's a hot take from any sports team um may i interest you in elton brand um <laughs> yeah i said one of i said the most that's fair that's fair. yeah, yeah, yeah. One, oh, uh, one definitely sure from, one this is definitely one of yeah. um and definitely the yeah the messiest slash just Gosh, I don't even like so many words that can be thrown well, out. <laughs> here's here's the thing. Here's the thing with Spurs, right? You have the perfect concoction of shithousery for this. You have Daniel Levy, who absolutely has no desire to negotiate anything in in life, apparently. Um, yeah. when it comes to money. Well, and, what's in it for him, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, but here's here's the biggest problem that Spurs have. It is Daniel Levy. It's his inability to actually spend money in the right areas, right? And understand what's, maybe he does understand what's important from the club or or maybe maybe there are other motivating factors pulling him away from this. But what's the most important thing is getting a manager in that has experience can turn the squad around. And oh, by the way, the second most important thing is giving that manager some damn resources. Because time. (laughs) Yeah, and time. And time. And that's exactly what every manager before, I guess, Ryan Mason, probably including Ryan Mason, has not had, Jose and and Poch explicitly. Now, 
there's a second part of this that I think plays a massive, massive factor. Of course, that's what they do with Harry Kane this summer. Obviously, Hungman's son is looking at a new contract with Spurs, so it looks like he's set to stay, unfortunately, in my opinion, but he is set to stay. Harry Kane's another story, but the reason why it's even more complicated is that Spurs basically have to play a weird chicken in the egg game between whether they get a new manager first or decide what they need to do with Harry Kane. Now, Harry Kane, of course, as we all know, is locked into that massive contract. Daniel Levy has no explicit reason to sell him other than getting a ton of cash for him up front or, or <laughs> risk losing 30 goals a season and yeah. falling even lower, regardless of who your manager is. So here's, if I'm Daniel Levy, what am I doing? Here's my answer. I'm selling Harry Kane to some. I know it's not your top choice. I know that you'd love to keep Kane around, but you probably can't do that given the climate. B, in, in this order, I'm bringing in Ernesto Valverde to turn this team around. I'm not saying Ernesto Valverde is the best coach. In fact, I probably don't think he's the best coach for Spurs, but someone who's won the Greek league twice, La Liga twice, has several trophies under his belt. I can't believe I'm defending this man. So that, that, that is probably... You're marketing him. I'm marketing him because that's the only option Spurs have. If you have a better option for Spurs, let me know. But someone like Ernesto Valverde is probably their best choice right now. And so I'm selling Harry Kane. I'm bringing in Ernesto Valverde and I'm starting fresh. You're starting fresh with, let's say, 150 million euros or 150 million pounds and go out and get another top striker because you have that capital and the world knows you have that capital. So which, yeah, which unfortunately means they'll probably also get screwed <laughs> out of whatever exactly, deal. <laughs> exactly. But but COVID pricing, it's like New York rent. Yeah, COVID still, pricing, COVID still, pricing. still, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so my point is this: Spurs are in a lose lose situation right now. So either way, they're going to come out looking bad because you're either going to keep Harry Kane, you guys are going to keep Harry Kane and have no money to rebuild this team, or you're going to lose Harry Kane have money, but probably no coach that really wants to take on this team. So it, it's a mess, man. So I, I ranted, but it's a mess. And, and I think that <laughs> Spurs are just an absolute dumb trunk of club. No. Yeah. 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 Look, look at the end of the day. Um, I, I think they're, I think their two best choices at this point are if Ten Hag is, is really not at all looking to leave um, Ajax, their best options in my opinion are, um Valverde or Graham Potter and so yeah yeah, I think that's fair and and with that like I think even if you brought in Eric Ten Hag none of those managers are convincing Harry Kane to stay so it it is like you might as well sell him right so it's it's gonna be a long summer it's gonna be a long summer of this saga one last thing before we wrap up apparently Messi's renewal might be announced this week as just oh, another beautiful. thing to throw into the summer silly season because yeah that's not silly not? that'll be that that'll be concrete that'll be that'll be concrete yeah if, if you post it on social media it's there it's it's <laughs> that's the legal legally binding contract so yeah I, I it's <sighs> the rest of the summer is gonna be wild um both in terms of football and non-football reasons probably but I, uh, I'm very much looking forward to continuing to record over the next couple of weeks here and there, bringing you guys the latest action and the latest updates and our 
extremely, extremely hot takes. So with that, anything else you want to go over? No, I think that's just about it. We've got the, the knockout. Are you ready to get Holland? <laughs> Another thing is just going to be messy like, throughout the summer. <laughs> like, that's just going to be, uh, but yeah, yeah, no, no, right. that's going to be disgusting. That along with Kane will be disgusting, disgusting amount of um, fake Ooh-la. news and like just, <laughs> yeah, bullshit thrown at the wall. So, True. Um, no, nothing, nothing else. Yeah, we've got, um, we've got a packed summer still. And that we just going to, it's just going to get more fun starting this weekend as the knockout stages of the Euros begin. So, well, ladies and gentlemen, we'll talk to you guys soon and enjoy the Euros, the Copa, and everything else football has to, to offer. Thanks, guys. Thank you.